Welcome to Chicago West Sunday Sermons, where we encourage with the gospel of Jesus Christ, equip within Christ-centered community, and engage with good works. This week, we will hear a sermon from Pastor Kent Steiner. Well, uh, we are continuing our series uh, in the book of Mark uh, called uh, Follow uh, Me, and uh, I sort of had to look this up, but this is message number 10. So, uh, so we've been going through, um, and we're at message number 10, and we're going to 48. So we're moving, moving right along here. Um, and so um, as we turn to Mark chapter 3, so if you can get your Bible out um, or get it on your phone, um, this is definitely a very powerful uh, text, and there's a lot going on in here. There definitely is. So by the Spirit, we just lead us to working through this here together. Um, but here's what is true, um, is that in life, in life, some, t- some things require, require a response, right? And this morning as we come into this text, here's the truth about Jesus, that he requires a response, he requires a response like, hey, you know, in our everyday life of, hey, things are, are going well on the positive side for something you want to respond to is anybody had a birthday or at Christmas time and somebody gave you uh, that perfect gift, right? You just sort of open it up and it's like, how did you know that's what I wanted? And that was just great. And so that elicits, right? That requires a response of thank you for the gift. Thank you for your consideration and your generosity uh, to me. Well, uh, uh, the negative side would be uh, this. Um, and uh, again, try, try to avoid uh, sports illustrations all the time, but just had to do this one. Um, for me, um, a negative response is, you know, when your team, it's in a big part of the, the game and things are going on, and all of a sudden the official makes a bad call. That requires a response. It does. <laughs> I think some people are laughing at me, but that's all right. It's all right. Here's the thing as we come to this text, though is that Jesus truly requires a response. He does. How he lived and what he claimed doesn't leave any place to be neutral. His impact doesn't allow for that. It just doesn't. As we jump back into chapter 3, let's start uh, reading in verse 7. And let's look for how people responded to Jesus starting in verse 7 of chapter 3. Jesus withdrew with his disciples to the sea, and a great crowd followed from Galilee and Judea and Jerusalem and Endemia and from beyond the Jordan and from around the Tyra and Sidon. When the great crowd heard all that he was doing, they came to him, and he told his disciples to have a boat ready for him because of the crowd, lest they crush him, for he had healed many so that all who had diseases pressed around him to touch uh, him. Jesus requires a response. Let me just pray for the clarity for this in our time. Lord, thank you that we've been uh, worshiping you in song. 
Lord, thank you for the reading of your uh, word here initially, God. And we would just pray, would you move and show us what it is you would have for us to see here? You require a response. And uh, Lord, as we see how uh, those responded here in Mark chapter 3, I pray, Lord, that that would move in us and give us clarity for how we're responding to you and understanding how others are responding to you. We thank you that we can gather together in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So we see here the first response that we just read is this one. So if you have your notes that you got those, it's this a superficial response. That's what we see, a superficial uh, response. Um, let's look uh, again at what the general response from the crowds is. And uh, there in uh, verse 7, Jesus withdrew with his disciples to the sea, and a great crowd followed from Galilee and Judea, right, and Jerusalem, and Indomia, and from beyond the Jordan, and from around Tyra and Sidon. So as we see here, Jesus is becoming quite a star at this point. There's no doubt about it that the word is out of what he's doing in all these awesome miracles. And he's having fans coming from all over, all over the place are coming. That's why that list is here, so we know everybody's uh, coming uh, all over. But see, why are they coming? Let's read uh, further in verse 8. It says this, when the great crowd heard all that he was doing, they came to him. And in verse 10, for he had healed many so that all who had diseases pressed around him to touch him. See, so much is uh, happening here that people are responding to what they're seeing in Jesus. So much so that Jesus had to make an adjustment. You know, you can just picture this, right? There's so many people pressing, wanting to hear, wanting to see, wanting to be healed, that he uh, gets up, asks for a boat to come, and he jumps in the boat, and then the boat just pours back from shore, right? It pulls back from shore, so it keeps the people on the land, and then now he's in the water, so there's separation, and everyone's there, and so Jesus can uh, teach them, and Jesus can uh, be with them. See, so many were there to experience maybe this, the Jesus show. Here's the first thing. Some wanted physical healing. And that's understandable. If, there was, if you were dealing with anything at that time physically, whether that's disease, whether that's a disability, whatever that would be, that if you heard that there's a way that you could be healed, you'd want to do that. And Jesus has grace for those that came, and he healed many. Praise God. And there were some that just wanted to see him do it as well. Like, we would want to see that, right? You'd want to see that if Jesus was performing miracles. But here's what the truth is, though, is that Jesus was coming to declare that he was a spiritual provision. See, the miracles were to show that he is the spiritual provision that everyone needed. It's the truth of John 14, 6, right? As Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. See, the validation of Jesus as the Messiah, as the Savior, was that he was to be a spiritual provision. Here's what's even true. The, the Satan's demonic minions, um, here in verse 11 and 12, we can read uh, these uh, two verses, also have their say. 
in their response, and they say this, and whenever the unclean spirits saw him, they fell down before him and cried out, you are the son of God. And he strictly ordered them not to make him known. See, even, even the demons are crying out that Jesus is the son of God. They recognize the spiritual provision here. But here's what was re- required uh, for people to receive a spiritual prov- provision is they had to see that they needed a savior. See, they were coming to see the miracles that were going on and all the action around, but they had to recognize that they needed a savior. See, many who come across Jesus, they're okay to just be around Jesus. See, many were there and they were just okay being around Jesus, but not willing to commit their lives to Jesus. So you see, they were seeking after the special effects, but didn't desire to follow him. They were content to just be around him. As I thought about that, I uh, thought of uh, our family dog. His name is Comet. So I think we got a, a picture here um, of, uh, of Comet. And uh, so I call him the friendly beast. Uh, very, very friendly, but he's got a big bark. Um, and uh, here's what happens in our house somewhat regularly. Uh, probably one of the few things I can handle in the kitchen is making popcorn. So I don't know if anybody likes popcorn or whatever, but I, I've got this uh, thing where it's, you know, the whirly thing, you know, where you put the oil in, you put the kernels in. And so I, I get all that out. And, uh, but here's what happens for Comet. As soon as he hears me getting that stuff out, he runs into the kitchen. Now he's running in the kitchen. And, uh, you know, he's just pressing up on me. He's right on my leg. He's just right there and going around. And uh, why is he uh, doing that? Well, because as I'm, you know, getting ready and it's going to pop or whatever, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm a pretty messy guy when it comes to all that. And maybe I, I drop a little f- few things on purpose for him uh, for the popcorn so that he can get it, right? So he knows when that's happening that the popcorn is going to be coming at least a little bit for him. But as soon as that's done, I got everything together, uh, then Comet goes back and goes back in with my wife or my daughter, um, and what, like he usually is, because he got, right, what he needed, right? But he wasn't there to be with me, but he wanted to be around me when the popcorn was popping. See, here's the thing. Jesus himself, Jesus himself is the treasure. Jesus is the pearl of great price. The popcorn that comes out of him is to bless us, yes, but it's to show us to him. The provision of Jesus is just as real right here in 2023 as it was 2,000 years ago when he was standing with them in the boat. I know about you, but uh, um, used to be on uh, Monday nights. I was I was watching Monday Night Football, uh, but uh, now that I'm outnumbered in my house, I've got my my wife Deanna and and Roz. We watch this show called The Voice, and uh, so I don't know. Uh, that's on Monday nights, and. Uh, so I'm always like, man, is it, is it a voice season? Is it, is it coming up? And so uh, we, we get together. We're usually uh, eating popcorn while we're, while we're watching. Well, here's what happened recently. 
um, is that uh, one of the singers, I think it's down to like the quarterfinals, um, she decided to sing a gospel song. And uh, it was awesome. The name of the song is Speak the Name. Speak the Name. And I can't read all the lyrics of the song uh, written by Corin Hawthorne, uh, who was a former contestant. But here, I just want to read a few of them. It says this, speak the name, the name of Jesus. Strongholds are broken. I've been made free. I am forgiven. Fear has to leave. Your name is healing. And I'm hearing her sing this right now, but you don't want to hear me sing it. Uh, Your name is power. Your name is holy. Speak the name, the name of Jesus, the name above all other names, the name the wind and waves obey. All of heaven's coming down. Speak the name, the name of Jesus. And see, that song is powerful, not just because of the words, because, because it represents the truth of Jesus. But what was happening in that show is that, you know, the judges and the people that are around, I would just say the masses that were there, they were all excited about what was being said and sort of the passion uh, that the singer was singing about Jesus. But it wasn't moving them to find out about the truth of Jesus that those words declared. They were fine in just being around uh, Jesus, just hearing about Jesus, but weren't ready to experience the full truth that those words declared. See, this, this uh, response is common, but it misses the provision of all that Jesus sacrificed, that he sacrificed for us. See, he is who we need. He is all we need. John 6, 35, let's read this together. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. And whoever believes in me shall never thirst. He is the bread of life. He is our spiritual nourishment. See, the truth of it is that there's a lot of spiritually hungry people. There's a lot of spiritually hungry people throughout this community, throughout this city, throughout uh, our jobs, in our families, maybe even in our gathering right here. And see, when people are hungry, they're desperate. And sometimes people are turning to destructive spiritual stuff. Because the truth is, the enemy doesn't play fair. When it comes to spiritual things, the enemy doesn't play fair. He likes to disguise himself as what seems good. Let's read 2 Corinthians eleven fourteen. And no wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. There's so many turning to so many things that aren't of the Lord because they're hungry. And they're searching for what can only be found in Jesus Christ. Sisters and brothers, do we believe that? Do we know that? Do we hold on to that? 
See, a superficial response to Jesus misses all that he is, all that he has sacrificed to give to each of us. So please hear me on this. Jesus did not come to make us feel better. A superficial response is fine with that Jesus came to make us feel better. But he came to transform us, to transform all that we are so that we can become all that he is. That's why Jesus has come. Let's read about that in 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All right, we can clap for that. Amen. Amen. We're clapping for what it is that Jesus has to offer, not just to us, but to every single one that we know. So in that moment, let me just say this. Anyone that is here, anyone that is here, if you don't know that you have received the gift of Jesus, if you don't know that you know him, today can be that day. See, what I love is that we don't have to stay with a uh, uh, superficial response. We don't. Jesus offers himself to us at all times. But here's the last thing on this that sisters and brothers, we have to wrap, uh, grapple with is this, is before we sort of just look at others, is it possible that we are okay with just being around Jesus? We've received Jesus, we know him, but are we okay with just being around Jesus? Getting the experience that we are being offered? Here's just some things to be thinking about that of getting the experience of being around Jesus. Here's the first thing, moved by singing in worship. So, man, I was just uh, so grateful for Tiffany and the worship team leading us, how powerful our time here together. But man, sometimes it's, you can just be singing and feel like, man, that's really powerful what's being sung. I'm feeling what's going on here and everything else. But is it about the truth that we have? Are we connecting to what the words are saying and what it is that we need to be receiving and declaring? Because just like what was happening on the voice, that could even happen here. That we can be moved by uh, what's being sung in worship, but not experiencing the truth that we're being given. Here's a second thing, being moved by a biblical message. And here's the thing, uh, so grateful for our pastor, Pastor John, who's preaching the word here regularly. I love that we had our women's ministry here uh, this uh, Saturday. And so um, already the words that were being spoken, the messages that were being given, praise God for those things. But sometimes we can be moved by God's word, the living and abiding word of God. But then later on in the week, are we even considering it? 
Are we crying out to the Lord that that would be being applied in our life? Or are we all right with just coming back the next week and having the same thing happen, but not having it be what transforms us and takes us? And so we have the opportunity to do that uh, right here together. Here's the last thing, uh, being moved by being with God's people. I love coming together here. We got community groups. We have different ministries going on. The youth ministry was here just this Friday night. I love being together as the body of Christ. But here's just a reminder. Don't let that be a substitute for personally pursuing Jesus. Personally having a thing with him that we would just be okay being around him. Because here's the truth of it. For me, and I believe for all of us, we have to fight for this. We have to fight for this by the power of the Spirit at work within us to not just settle for being around, but to truly being with Jesus. And let me just say this, because he's worth it. It's worth the fight because he is worth it. John 10.10 says this, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. And this is what Jesus says, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. You can't be around Jesus and experience the abundant life that he has for you. You have to be with him. He has to be with you. And that's why I love that that was just the first uh, response that we saw, saw, the superficial one. But let's look to the next response that we see uh, going through uh, God's word here. And that is in uh, verse 13. And it's this, a committed response. First was a superficial response, now a committed response, uh, verse 13. And he went up on the mountain and called to him those whom he desired, and they came to him. So here's the thing, as we've been earlier in uh, the book of Mark, um, that Jesus has been asking different uh, individuals to follow him. And so he's been giving that out in different places in time. And now he's calling them all together to meet him on the mountain. And uh, what I love is that they did it. They showed up. They went up the mountain. We see that right here, that they came up to the mountain to, to meet with him. But here's the thing that's so easy to miss that we can't miss right out of this text. And it's here in verse uh, 14, because Jesus does something so significant and powerful he, and he appointed 12 whom he also named apostles so that they might be with him. They might be with him. See, it's so easy to look over that, but this is the most vital part of the Christian life, being with Jesus. It's being with Jesus is the most uh, vital part of that. See, Jesus brought these 12 close to him so they could be changed in his presence. See, Jesus brings us close so that we can be changed. See, we are not called to change ourselves. If you thought that, that you had to work harder, you're struggling, you're feeling like, man, I wish God would be doing more in my life, it's not up to you to change yourself. But it's the position that you're in. That's where you have to be. You have to be in the position that these disciples were in 
to just simply be with him. See, Jesus knew they must be with him first. And some of us know what they were facing. These disciples, they were facing great discouragement. They were going to be facing beatings. They were going to be facing untrue accusations against them. Hard hearts to the message that they were going to be giving. And most of them were actually going to give their very lives. But Jesus knew they had to be with him first. And they had to be committed to him and know him. See, sisters and brothers, we need to know that we need his presence above all else. Because here's the thing is that your family truly doesn't need what you bring to the table. Wherever it is that you connect with your family, they don't need you to show up and bring what you can to the table. What they need is Christ in you to show up to your family each and every day. At your workplace, where it is that you work, those that you interact with, they don't need you thinking, oh, strategizing how to connect with them and do that. They need Christ in you. Your friends, what they need to see is not, hey, you know, you trying to win them over or you trying to show them something. They just need to see the real Christ in you, the hope of glory. See, that's what is, it is all about. See, what happened with the 12 was when they were in Jesus' presence. Let's see what happens when they were in Jesus' presence. Continuing there in verse 14. And he might send them out to preach and have authority to cast out demons. See, when they were in his presence, and we see two things here right away that happen as, as they're in his presence, that they want to proclaim Jesus, that they are to be preaching Jesus, but first they must be with him. Hey, uh, I was so grateful for our family services last uh, Sunday. And uh, for those who weren't here, uh, we had uh, children right here with us uh, as part of the whole service. And that's just really fantastic to have them here with us. It was a blessing. But also a reminder, right, that we're glad that they also right now have their time uh, uh, with the, our leaders that are upstairs and they're worshiping and, and, and being taught God's word right where they're at. But here was, here was what was great about them being with us as they, as they were part of our greeters as they came in. Um, we had uh, them up here praying with us and then sharing what they were learning about God in their children's ministry time. They were excited to proclaim Jesus. You just heard it over and over again, right? Come to me like little children. They had that. They had received it, and they were excited to share that with us. Nala was like, I want to, I feel like the Lord's leading me to pray over the whole church. Praise God. Being with Jesus is what generates that. Being with Jesus is what gives us the ability to do that. And what I love is, here's the second thing, not just proclaim Jesus, but power from Jesus. See, they got power from Jesus and have authority to cast out demons. That's serious, right? 
Well, I love, I love the weather out here, and uh, this weekend has been great. Um, I got to go, um, I just said, man, I'm just going to get away, go to, go to a park, and just have some time just to relax and sort of enjoy the weather and do that. So I don't know if anybody else got to a park, got outside or whatever, just to enjoy this weather. Uh, that is really a great thing, and we should uh, do that. But church, the Christian life is not a walk in the park. The Christian life is not a walk in the park. It is a battle. It is a battle each and every day. And we must be prepared for battle. How do we do that? Well, here's the battle that we got to know is that we have an enemy who wants to defeat us. We have to know that there's an enemy that's wanting to defeat us. But here's the other thing is that we have a savior who lovingly wants us to sit at his feet. He just wants us to sit at his feet. And Jesus gave these 12 spiritual power so much so to cast out demons. See, sisters and brothers, in Jesus, we can overcome our enemy. We can overcome anything that comes our way. Just as the song was that I read the lyrics to, that we can speak the name. If we are with Jesus, we have the authority of Jesus. See, this is how we are uh, transformed. I uh, got to go uh, just yesterday, and uh, for a while I was, I was swimming quite a bit. I got away from that for a while. And then I got back to it not too long ago. And so I got to go uh, swimming with my friend, uh, Bill. And uh, we, just, we were swimming yesterday. And uh, here's the thing about swimming um, is that, you know, as you're swimming across water, you just sort of got to get your, your body sort of like parallel, you know, with the water and doing that. And the more you can do that, the better you're able to swim. But what's most important about swimming is breathing. That's the most important about swimming is uh, figuring that out. And so as you're swimming, you know, you're, you put your, your face in the water, you're looking here, but then you turn your head to do what? To breathe, right. And you got to do that because you need oxygen, right? Because, you know, there's no oxygen down here in the water. So you got to turn here to get the oxygen, and then you go back into the water. And as you're swimming, part of what you're supposed to do then, as you get that oxygen, then you breathe out that as you're swimming, and then you go back and breathe that again. And I think that's just such a great picture of what it is to be with Jesus, is that we've got to breathe him in constantly. And when we meet with him, and then he is with us, then we can turn our head into this world. We can turn our head into the things that we face. And we have Jesus with us that we're literally being Christ in us, coming out. He's moving in and through us as we face this world. And here's, here's the truth if we're all here, right? At sometimes do we feel like we're drowning in this world? Do we feel real discouraged and what's going on around us or in our families and our situations? Here's the thing that we need to do is make sure we're turning our heads, right? Make sure we're breathing in, we're connecting to Jesus in our life. I love that Tiffany led us in worship and she just said, as she learned at the women's ministry on, on Saturday, that she just kept singing, it is well with my soul. 
She just kept turning her head and asking, Jesus, would you help me to believe that? Jesus, would you help me to know that by the Spirit? And she just kept singing it till she believed it. God loves to give good gifts to his children. We are his children. And if we fight for it, he'll give it to us. See, these next few verses describe those 12 who followed Jesus. Let's uh, look at the description here. We're going to be um, moving on through, starting in verse 16. He appointed the 12, Simon, to whom he gave the name Peter, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, the brother of James, to whom he gave the name uh, Borneris. This is sons of thunder. Andrew and Philip and Bartholomew and Matthew and Thomas and James, the son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus and Simon the Zealot and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. So this is the list of the 12 disciples. And again, love to go deep on many of them, but here's what I'm just going to do an overview is this is a diverse group. <laughs> the diverse group, what they did, you know, we got fishermen there, we got a doctor in there, we got a tax collector, um, we, we have a, a zealot in there, and what that is, is actually like a political activist that sometimes was out doing crazy stuff, and so Jesus called all these different individuals together, and they had all different status in society, Right? You know, some were, hey, you know, we're fishermen, just ordinary uh, people. Some were, uh, that, uh, Matthew was a tax collector, right? He was hated. He was disrespected because he had turned on his own people to get rich. And then, uh, then you have uh, Luke the doctor, you know, in, in his role. And so there's all these different uh, statuses in society. And some of them that we know about, a lot about, and some we don't know anything about. And here's the thing is, that's, that's how the church should be, Right? that we need to be fine no matter what our role is, no matter what our situation is. God likes to bring us all together in our diversity in unity. And sometimes some are more known than others, but that doesn't make anybody better than another one, right? It's just different roles in different places. And so what I love that Jesus represents our core value. We have this right here. Uh, this is our core value, valued and celebrated diversity. And that's represented even when he calls these 12. Well, here's the last thing that we see here is that also there's a perspective of God's calling. We see, let's read verses 20 and 21. Then he went home and the crowds gathered again so that they could not even eat. And when his family heard it, they went out to seize him for they were saying, he is out of his mind. He's out of his mind. See, even Jesus' own family thought he was crazy for what he was doing. Now, here's the thing about it. We don't know is that just because they're like, oh, he's crazy. You know, he, you know we, don't, he, we don't believe in what he's doing. It might also just be like, man, he's going to get himself killed. He's going to get himself crushed. They were caring about him. They were concerned about him, you know, in that situation, which is true. And so that's what the family was. They were, they were just very concerned about what was uh, going on. See, here's the thing just to reflect on is that sometimes when God gives you a calling, sometimes people might feel you're crazy. See, when God puts a calling on your life to do something, those that don't know the Lord, don't have a relationship with him, might just think, you're crazy. <laughs> you're crazy for doing that. 
And some people who love you, care about you, who know the Lord or don't know the Lord, they might just be real concerned. Are you sure that's what God has for you? Are you really going to do that? Is that really what's going to happen? What I love is that God gives direct callings. And so as I was looking at this, I, I thought of uh, the Stuckies in, in our church. So we got uh, Melissa and Jason, and uh, there's uh, little Mila, and uh, so grateful for them. And I'd love to, you know, break down their story a little bit more. But here's what I'll just say is that in uh, late 2000s, 2008 and 9, uh, Jason had received from the Lord that he was being called here to Chicago. Now, he was down in South Carolina, and it's sort of like, why is he being called to Chicago? And there's some reasons for that. But man, he had a clear calling for that. And God brought Melissa with him, and he shared that calling, and they were praying about that together. And then in about, in early on in our church, as we were getting going, as we were meeting Michelle Clark, uh, showed up here at the church, and then it was even like, well, maybe God's calling them to be a part of Chicago West uh, here um, as part of this calling. And so, um, but there's a lot to figure out. So in 2019, they were making the plan to come here and move here and live here in Chicago as God's calling. It was a great calling, um, but here's the interesting fact. Uh, they were to come in June of 2020. June of 2020. So I know it's like hard to think about, but June of 2020, man, it, the whole world was upside down, right? And, uh, you know, the coronavirus was going on and just things were happening everywhere. And so, so here's the thing. We'll just say this. People that were around, you know, Melissa and Jason were like, man, you guys aren't still going to Chicago and, you know, right now, you know, with all this stuff going on, you must, you must be crazy if you're going to go there, right? And also people who love them are like, concerned, are you sure you want to go right now? Maybe you should go later or whatever in that. I'll just say this, right? That has God affirmed their calling that God's provided for them. God's protected them. And they're so grateful they responded to God's calling, and we're so grateful they're with us. Amen. Hey, feel, feel free to break it down even more with them. They'd love to tell you, uh, give, give God the glory for all that he's doing in and through them here. So we've seen two responses. We're going to go to this last one. Let's check out this last response. We've had superficial response, a committed response, and here's the last one, an opposed response. An opposed response, verse 22. And the scribes who came down from Jerusalem were saying, he is possessed by Beelzebul and by the prince of demons. He casts out the demons. So here's a truth that we can just I'll look at here first is that some people are spiritually blind to the truth of Jesus. Spiritually blind to the truth of Jesus. And if we believe we can see the truth of Jesus, it's not on us, right? It is only by the grace of God that we are able to see. And so there's many reasons why uh, people don't believe in Jesus. And sometimes it's because we don't represent him well. People have been hurt by people in the church. People have done things in the name of Jesus that have been so wrong and so evil. So there's many reasons why people don't believe in the truth of Jesus. But here, there's a specific focus of this. The highly religious scribes said that Jesus' power isn't from God, but from Satan. 
So the highly religious people who should have known better were saying this about Jesus. And Jesus addresses their illogical reasoning here. So we'll just read it through how he responds to them. Starting in verse 23. And he called them uh, to him and said to them in parables, how can Satan cast out Satan? If a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom can't stand. And if a house is divided against itself, that house will not be able to stand. And if Satan has written up against himself and is divided, he cannot stand, but is uh, coming to an end. But no one can enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man, then indeed he may plunder his house. All I got to say, you know, just sort of drop the mic, right? You know, Jesus is like, hey, that's illogical, going through, that that, that wouldn't be true, that he'd be doing that um, through Satan himself. So here's what we should be reflecting on then uh, for us, is that some people choose to be blind to the truth. See, he responded to them, but he knows that they're choosing to be uh, blind to the truth. And that's what we see in verses 28 through 30. These highly religious leaders, he says to them, truly I say to you, all sins will be forgiven the children of man and whatever blasphemes they utter. But whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness, but is guilty of an internal sin. For they were saying he has an unclean spirit. See, Jesus did die for all sins. But right here, Jesus is describing that they are declaring lies about God when they know the truth. In that state, there is no hope for forgiveness. See, Jesus' harshest criticism isn't for the blind, but it's for the religious who claim they could see. See, the warning to take away here is this, and it's this, that hardened hearts to God, get even harder. Hardened hearts to God get even harder. When God is drawing you, when you hear something, you're like, man, is what I'm hearing right now, is that, the, is that the Lord? Is this something I need to receive? Do I need to know conviction from God? Right, when I hear the truth about Jesus, is that something... I need to embrace? Do I need to respond 